and be like, wow, what a great post interview. <laughs> hey, everybody. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hashing It Out. Uh, I'm your host, Tuxverse D. I am another host, Dr. Corey Petty. And I'm the third host, Jesse Broke. I like how Jesse started this. I got this. And dude's like, hey, welcome, everybody. Oh, you want to... <laughs> My bad. No, no, no. I was just gonna be. I was just gonna. I was just gonna be like, um, man, this is a really good interview that we have upcoming, right, guys? Oh, it yeah. is. I'm very excited about the interview that we're about to do. Like, I think it's one of the few instances where something happens in the community and we respond to it and get someone on to talk about it. Versus like a, a more evergreen I mean, this is evergreen material this is going to be relevant for a long period of time but it's based on yep. something that's happening now most of our most of our interviews are not a response to the community like something happening in the in the, in the community and us being like mm -hmm. we got to cover this it's just like hey that's sort of interesting let's go talk to them uh but i i definitely think the concept that we're talking uh we're talking to a mean about privacy pools is just generally useful and serves as a meta conversation to what how privacy how we deal with privacy in general right mm -hmm. how many uh how many wiretaps do you guys have in your house probably a lot you know because <laughs> i have a bunch of landlines a wiretap yeah, yeah I've got like... digital communications today is just tapped all, all <laughs> so, wiretaps um uh, yeah that's not a thing anymore it's just it's just done uh or can be done i've got at least 12. Least you know, I was. Well. I worked for. I, I went through the the clearance process. I didn't get a clearance, but I definitely got cleared to get a clearance to go through the process, which is arduous and expensive. And I now work on privacy stuff in the United States for crypto. So I'm assuming I'm on some list of some sort. What yeah. if you're not? Great. It'd be fucking awesome. Like, there's no way for me to know until <laughs> until something happens. You get on the list for asking if you're on the list, so probably that's a good. <laughs> Here we are. We're done. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, super exciting interview coming up. I mean, so funny. If you've been in crypto for more than uh, two shakes of a dog's tail, then you know he is the founder of Spank Chain, uh, which is uh, not even related to this at all. So I'm not even going to detail about it. But uh, not just founder of Spank Chain, but more so prolific in his ability to develop uh, solutions and things that actually get use and adoption in crypto. Moloch Dow, Tornado Cash. I think he's considered an OG. Privacy polls. Oh, yeah. definitely at this point. Definitely he needs more OG, gray yeah. hairs. OGs need more gray hairs these days. Crypto's got 10 years in the game. We need more gray hairs. But uh, anyways, um, great interview. Yeah, amazing interview. Yeah. I think one of the best ones, especially when it comes to like philosophical reasons of why crypto matters and also how do you achieve, you know, privacy practically, especially if you're in the situation that they are in where they are targeted by a nation state. They try to use, you know, privacy to the kind of the fullest extent possible and they got burned for it, right? Because other mm -hmm. other uh, actors, right, North Korea specifically, you know, they're trying to use, you know, any medium possible in order to launder the funds that, you know, they got through the hack of uh, Axie Infinity. I think it was like 620 or 630 million. And so, yeah, I mean, 
they're just uh they're just trying to prove they're not associated with that it's good stuff you know what i think we should do just we should for 10 minutes straight talk about football and piss off Corey. i'll just leave <laughs> got shit to do i don't know anything about football though oh the only yeah, thing I remember, had was like, earlier we were talking because i don't know anything about ball sports but <laughs> yeah exactly i don't know anything about ball sports um well i think we've uh, done a good job kind of giving a precursor of what the audience is about to see um, here and here see and hear, absorb think about yeah take into their 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 spirit uh without further ado <laughs> here here's the mean here it is Hey everybody, welcome to another one of Hashing It Out's interviews. Uh, the person we're about to interview here needs no introduction. If you're if you if you watch our show, listen to our show, he needs no introduction. But there are the few of you out there who don't, and you're stumbling upon us for the first time. This is a mean ceremony. I mean, how you do? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, do me a favor. Can you do a short, succinct introduction to yourself, uh, and then we can get into it? Cool. Um, yeah, my name is Amin Soleimani. I'm the uh, CEO of Spank Chain. I started MolochDAO, um, helped with some of the uh, MolochDAO projects, um, helped set up a stablecoin called Rye as part of uh, Reflexor, uh, and uh, most recently, have been working on a privacy uh, protocol called Privacy Pools. Mm, that's the topic of the hour. That's yep. why you're here. So we're about to dig into it. Um, first, though, I, I had to ask because um, one, it was a question from our audience, but two, it's just general curiosity. You know, your historical involvement in Web three, you're you're provocative. You know, you get the people going. Uh, compliance seems kind of beige. In comparison to that, so uh, why take that head on now? Uh, well, uh, my dad has always told me um, dumb people don't learn from their mistakes. Uh, smart people learn from their mistakes, and uh, the wise learn from the mistakes of others. Uh, and unfortunately, I've never been very wise. So uh, I think it's important that when we learn from uh, the mistakes we've made and um, try to correct them and move on into a positive path. Uh, I mean, we can get right into it. Uh, compliance, you're correct, is not my go-to thing. Uh, I've, I've actually structured as much of my professional career as possible to avoid paperwork. Um, but in this particular case, uh, I think it's it's important and uh, even if it wasn't about compliance, I actually would still want uh, the features that privacy pools provide. Uh, even if it wasn't about a regulator, you know, forcing it upon us, um, I think it, it actually is uh, a better uh, system. So in this case, it's like one of those rare cases where you have, you know, uh, governments, banks, 
anarchists, everybody puts their hands together and what they see eye to eye on is, I would like to choose who I associate with. Uh, and that's the sort of common uh, you know, value that uh, all of these groups share. And so it finds, you know, rare bedfellows where I'm working on compliance tools. Restrained I'd like to try and start this off by giving a bit of a, like my version of the scenario here or like a background to what privacy pools are and where they came from. Um, through the paper, it's, I think it's done in a nice way in terms of giving you the background and history of like where Tornado Cash started and how this is an implementation on, or like an extension of what Tornado Cash is, was, and why it came to be. Um, but if, for those who haven't read the paper, it's basically Ethereum is a open public network. Everyone can see those transactions. Um, the early concept of privacy within crypto or Bitcoin was your pseudonymous, but uh, entity analysis is relatively straightforward to do and mapping a real world identity to your pseudonymous um, identity within a crypto system is also relatively straightforward to do. So those privacy guarantees are very strong. So in order to enable privacy things, uh, privacy features within an open public permissionless system, you build concepts like mixers, which is basically I send my token to, an, uh, to a contract, it mingles with other tokens, and I'm able to extract those tokens to a separate address, thus removing the taint, which is the, I guess, the technical term for this, between my previous address and the next address. Um, this is, has to be done because it's built on top of a, once again, public and permissionless readable chain. So all information is able to, you're able to see. Uh, because of that, and the alleged illicit use of Tornado Cash, which was an implementation of a mixer on top of Ethereum, uh, the, the instantiation of Tornado Cash was sanctioned by OFAC and other US regulatory bodies. Um, and the reason they had to go about this route was because there was no optionality. There was no way to prove that uh, my funds that I participated in Tornado Cash were not a part of uh, the illicit funds. So because there's that lack of resolution, they sanction the whole thing because that's the only thing they really can do other than maybe sanction entire, the entirety of Ethereum, which would be kind of an overstepping of, those, of, 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 uh, of regulation. So privacy pools is the ability, an additional ability to provide more proofs of groups of people that I associate my funds with within a privacy mixer. So I'm, I'm disclosing more information about the groups of people that my funds are associated with. And this involves both inclusion and exclusion proofs so that I can say my funds definitely don't belong to these funds or my funds definitely belong to these funds. And this is done in a, I would say, customizable way, depending upon how you set up those groups of people. Um, that's yeah. kind of the... And this is all done through uh, fun mathematics and applied cryptography called zero-knowledge proofs, which only discloses the amount of information that's required to prove a certain claim, namely, I'm in this group or I'm not in this group. So that's kind of what Privacy Pools offers. Um, yeah, if it's cool, I'll reiterate some of that and put it in my own do. words too. So yeah, like um, we wanted privacy on Ethereum. Uh, Tornado Cash was a sort of zero to one to get privacy before something like Tornado Cash. People, you know, 
generally have good reasons for wanting privacy, given that it's a public blockchain. Everything you do is linked to everything else you do. Everybody sees any transaction you deal with somebody, then they know, you know, your whole history and all of the other things that you're spending your money on. So to to break that, what people normally did was like go through Coinbase or something, you know, some sort of exchange. Uh, but the the problem with that is like you know low level support engineers at Coinbase can you know, basically see all your transactions and just like get bribed and dox you. And so um, using actual zk snarks uh, is a much better solution. And so Zcash existed when Tornado Cash came out. Uh, Zcash was the first ever zk snarks deployment in human history. Tornado Cash was the second one uh, to hit prop. Um, and the problem that you mentioned was that uh, well, there was a video game called Axie Infinity, and it was allegedly hacked by Rhea for like $500 million. Why Axie Infinity, a video game, had $500 million is a separate uh, story that we won't get into. What? Uh, but uh, you see, like, you know, all of the money leave and go into these wallets, and then you see, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of that, or, or I don't know, I'll show you the exact numbers, but uh, get deposited into Tornado Cash contracts. Uh, and so then we see which deposits those are. Uh, and so as a user, what privacy pools allows you to do is be able to make the claim, like public, uh, provide a public verifiable proof uh, using ZK Snarks that I am not some subset of the deposits, like I'm none of those deposits that came from this hack, you know? Uh, and so the goal, the, you know, the hope uh, is that this might satisfy the regulatory requirement, uh, you know, in America, and, and there's, uh, we'll get into more about how it works in different jurisdictions, but in America specifically where I am a citizen, uh, and I would like to be able to use privacy tools, uh, you know, I, I, given that Tornado Cash is sanctioned, I don't have a, a good option. And so hopefully, um, by being able to, uh, prove that, you know, provably dissociate myself from potentially illicit funds, and also, uh, you know, uh, isol help isolate the illicit funds, we might be able to not get sanctioned, right? Uh, that's sort of the point of privacy pools and the, the goal. I guess, yeah. um, <clears throat> I guess I'll jump in real quick and then kind of continue that same line of thought mm -hmm. and extend it a bit. So according to like a, an interview I, I was watching earlier this weekend um, between Zuko and Vitalik, um, there's a kind of a quote that, uh, Zico mentioned Tornado Cash had a disclosure tool that was deemed inadequate and it actually had yeah. more disclosure than privacy pools. Um, yeah. and then OFAC. Let me, let me answer that one. So yes, uh, yeah. the Tornado Cash team themselves built a compliance tool, which they were hoping that people would use if needed. Uh, and so not their job necessarily to make laws and regulate things, but, uh, what the, the tool allowed you to do is simply, you know, uh, basically prove specifically which deposit your withdrawal came from. Uh, and so it's not the type of thing that you could publicly do on chain uh, because that would defeat the entire purpose. You would just dox yourself as if you never used the, you know, system to begin with. Um, and there was one paper actually published by the St. Louis Federal Reserve um, by the colleagues that we wrote this paper with actually. Dr. Fabian Schar and his um, you know, PhD student, uh, Matthias uh, Nadler. And so uh, it was the best paper about Tornado Cash, and it provided a compliance suggestion, you know, and it said, hey, actually, maybe 
should be, you know, allowed to you. Uh, tornado cash should be permitted. You know, people should be able to use it, but they might have to provide this compliance, you know, proof, uh, like basically docs their deposit uh, to some sort of regulated third-party financial institution, you know, a Coinbase or a bank or something. Uh, and that sort of puts you back into the original setup where, like, you're just running your money through Coinbase anyway, and uh, it doesn't really help you in low levels. Support engineers can get bribed and then, like, give up all your, you know, data. Uh, so um, the the compliance tool was was not very widely used. It wasn't um, wasn't very good uh, either uh, in in the sense of like the power of the tool. Uh, in terms of being able to prove things, because you could only prove that you were a specific deposit. So you couldn't even do this stuff in public. So uh, privacy pools is positioned as, you know, a enhancing the power of this compliance uh, tool. And, and we thought it was really important to, to connect with Fabian, uh, who wrote that original paper, and be like, hey, look, before anybody tries to make the rules about this stuff, uh, let's make sure that you guys know the sort of whole spectrum of what uh, ZK Snarks can actually provide us uh, in terms of uh, compliance. And so that's why we wanted to write this paper and explain that you can use these this privacy pools with the Rubble Association too. That's that's an important, I think, uh, like general concept. I think uh, that's worth reiterating. Um, the initial ideas on implementing privacy or what people most most people think about privacy is that it's either all or nothing um and that it's either completely private and no one knows anything or it's completely public and everyone knows everything when in real and, and most like early implementations of privacy are, are like these blunt tools that give you that concept and so in the event that there is some disclosure of that information it, you're completely public again and what I think zero knowledge in general and our and our and our attempts to play around with it and implement it in various ways and privacy pools on top of uh, mixers gives you a lot of optionality of everything in between. Um, I'm disclosing information to groups of people that need it and no one else. And so it gives us more fine grains fine grain controls over um, what information we're giving out and to whom we're giving it out to and not overstepping our boundaries and requiring giving up a bunch of other stuff in the process of doing that. And, and this is a similar situation of like, <clears throat> like the, I guess the canonical example for zero knowledge is you don't need to know my age, but you need to know I'm over a certain age in order to participate in something like alcohol or something, right? Uh, you don't need to know uh, my exact condition for like medical insurance, but you need to know that I qualify or I'm in this pool of people that have a condition. A, a set of conditions, things like this, right? And that's what I think this offers. And I, you wanted, and I, that was, I think, the the crux of your, I don't know, beef with Zuko, and that his initial reaction didn't account for the fact that this is all optional and um, a lot, like, gives us more fine grained control over things. Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, more or less. Um... I think uh, we have, you know, all of our initial privacy tools were basically all or nothing. Uh, and so it's a bit of a shock that, you know, people need to process that now. Uh, you actually, what, 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 you know, what happens if we have the ability to have, you know, partial privacy that's based on user choice? You know? 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, I'm like, it could end up in different, you know, sort of equilibriums. Uh, and, and so like, you know, the ideal potential equilibrium for me as a U.S. citizen is like, hey, I would simply just like to exclude all of the known terrorists, you know, uh, and like criminal hacks and stuff. $100 million leaves a DeFi protocol real fast. It's probably not legit, you know, and it's probably my friends uh, getting hacked and losing the money. So it's not, I don't even want to associate uh, with that. And, and so it would be, you know, the way that uh, the privacy pools set up works is like, people deposit into the pool, right? And then there's a retroactive traceback, right? You have to go do either, you know, use chain analysis or TRM or one of these sort of analytics companies and sort of figure out where the funds came from, if it came from a DeFi hacker. They follow stuff like cross-chain and, and so forth. Um, and, and so then after the end of a week, uh, that's sort of a number that we picked based on how long it takes them to do this analysis. They said, you know, three, four days in the edge cases. Uh, so we just doubled it at the end of the week, then they would, uh, you know, we would include the deposited, uh, the address that deposited that deposit in the association set. And so the association set is what you will be proving your membership in, uh, and, and simultaneously basically proving that you are not one of the excluded addresses. It's not in that association set. So, um, and that's what lets you say, hey, look, I'm not any of the hacks or terrorists or these things. Um, I think the worry that some, you know, Zuko has is that uh, this type of tool or setup will be forced down everyone's throats, uh, not just maybe mm -hmm. on Ethereum, but probably on Zcash too. And so, yeah. I think there's like yeah, that, there's a couple things. But between like the disconnect between OFAC and the St. Louis Fed in terms of like, it sounds like at least, right? Um, and then there's there's also this, I don't know if it if it makes sense to if to point it out, but does the, the week-long dispute of a proof of associ uh, association with uh, any given set, does it make like things, you know, economically less efficient to some degree? Certainly. Yeah, so like, I, I uh, guess... <laughs> like. That's the sort of, you know, stipulation. Down, that's the trade-off, like, yeah. This is, yeah, it's like, you know, you can't have it right away, maybe wait a week. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't make the rules. It might be less for less money or more for more money. You know, uh, these are sort of norms that get decided. I'm trying to avoid, for example, one of the things that, you know, if you study like CBDC and stuff, they're actually looking into like rate limiting the, you know, actual transfers. Uh, and so I, I'm trying to avoid having like rate limits at the, you know, ZK circuit level, uh, unless they're mandated by law, for example. But, uh, I would prefer to <laughs> only put them in if they are actually, because I, I believe you can sort of solve that specific problem, uh, socially, right? Where it's like, if you do withdraw earlier than a week, uh, then, you know, you are not proving that you're on the set. And so you're now actually part of the set of tainted funds. So you really don't want to do that if you want to then be able to like go around and use that money and have people accept it. And that's part of the, you have kind of idealistic constructions of how someone can still prove they're not a part of a set while not being included in these certain sets in, in the paper where like 
say you're moving around funds internally, say like in the, in the event that this becomes more broad and used quite a bit, people will want to kind of move funds within the pool, within the shielded pool of funds. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about a couple of different things here, right? And okay. so I'll just, I'll just point out, right. There's like the vanilla tornado cash setup, which is, you know, deposit in withdraw, right? There's no sort of transactions inside. Um, there's a like level two version of that, which is sort of arbitrary deposits, arbitrary withdrawals. Uh, and then there's like the shielded pool version of that, which is like you can deposit and then you can actually do transactions inside the shielded pool and then you can you know, withdraw. Now, the shielded pool setup is basically how Zcash works. Uh, and the first one is sort of how Tornado works. Uh, so um, the first version of privacy pools uh, is you know going to work the way Tornado Cash works on it. The, uh, the paper talks about shielded pools as well, because we you know, anticipate that, you know, if these things are more broadly used, then there, there will probably be internal transactions. And, uh, this does add some you know, complications, and additional, uh, like things you have to think about, um, which we'll get to in a sec. So I vaguely remember reading in the, in the paper, um, that, there's a potential for like you know multiple like laying overlaying multiple ASPs to eventually kind of like create you know overlapping association sets to kind of get, try to dox people, and then you know some some suggestions you know let's let AI do it and then you know AI is kind of like a black box de like depending on a lot of different factors so it's like it's a solution like it's a zero to one solution and I get it but then. I hope we iterate in a way that doesn't, you know, give away, uh, you know, in, in the way that kind of Eric and, and Zuko kind of view it, that doesn't force the onus on citizens to kind of, you know, um, prove their innocence rather than, you know, the whole, the whole, you know, that whole dynamic of, you know, there's this presumption based on the fourth amendment where, you know, you, you, it protects us from, you know, unreasonable searches and seizures and, you know, nation states do illegally overstep their bounds on that. And so if we give them tools to kind of invert that dynamic, then it could be a slippery slope. No one's making anybody use this tool. If you really want yeah. to not listen to the U.S. government, you're welcome to use Tornado Cash as is uh, in full violation of sanctions law and face up to 20 years in prison. Uh, it's still there, still immutable, still working. So <laughs> we tried that. You know, uh, if you're bold enough to use it, go for it. Through dad's advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Answering the question, uh, it's like I, I, I also prefer it not to get captured, you know, by some monopoly service provider that then has sort of. Uh, you know, full discretion and they'll be like, oh yeah, this is my ex-girlfriend, like, you know, kick her out of the privacy pool or something, you know. Uh, that would be a pretty bad uh, outcome. <laughs> um, and, and I think it's important that there uh, be multiple different association set providers uh, and we try to, you know, have that. And, and there's also the thing where you describe, it's like, you can work in multiple jurisdictions. Um, and, and so, for example, like, I was in Switzerland presenting this to Swiss bankers and they like it. And uh, they, maybe for them, 
uh, maybe like, you know, America is like, we must surveil everybody. We're not going to let you use this at all or something. But in Switzerland, they value privacy uh, of their you know, citizens uh, and not only like, uh, you know, with the banks, but from other banks and from each other. And uh, so they understand the need. And so maybe it works in some jurisdiction. Right. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it's set up to be flexible. The association set can be anything. It can be just the not terrorists. It could be only the people KYC to banks, right? Um, that's sort of up to the governments and regulators and to figure out. I think it's good that there's a this the solution that has flexibility to kind of operate in multiple jurisdictions and kind of like at least tries to tackle the problem and make it less binary. And so yeah, I'm I'm glad that that it exists. Yeah. Do you think? that this is the uh, like this is the consequence of us building on an open system is it too much complexity because it's public and we're trying to make things private and we're going to have a additional complexity infrastructure required to do that because you have to go through extra steps to create that privacy on top of a public system or is it better to build a private system from the start and then disclose as needed like, is, is is that even a realistic scenario in your this option? This is right? one of the because weird. In reality, we work in jurisdictions, and that's not going away. Right. So, do you start at a foundation of, of openness or a foundation of privacy, and then disclose appropriately? This is one of the, like the weirder, you know, uh, things about like Zuko's criticism is because like Ethereum's not going anywhere; it's public, right? So, like, I'm trying to build something that works for like where I live, more or less, and through my business. Uh, like building a new <laughs> private L1 is like not going to solve my problem, right? Uh, so, um, and and then further, like now knowing that this is possible, uh, I would actually prefer it. And people are like, we should do base layer privacy, and I'm like, maybe, but only if we can also do the provable dissociation of the base layer too, uh, because I I personally see this. Uh, ability to dissociate uh, as like strictly better than not having the ability to dissociate. And I kind of think that everybody who's not building this into their system is essentially uh, taking choice away from their users. They're, they're forcing their users to associate with all of their other users, some of whom might may or may not be criminals. Uh, and so I, as an individual, would prefer to be able to dissociate from people that I don't want to mix funds with. Uh, for example, like, you know, uh, we talk about North Korean hackers and whatnot, but uh, I'm sure that if the North Koreans can figure out Tornado Cash, the, you know, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, that is basically the uh, paramilitary mafia that, you know, oppresses everybody in Iran. Uh, could probably figure out too. Maybe there's like, you know, some IRGC bros that are like, man, we love Amin. Uh, he's, you know, uh, we're so happy that set, set this shit up. And it's like, that's not what I want, right? Um, if I knew that, you know, which deposits were theirs, I would try to exclude them. And, and the, the nuanced part of that is like, if, I, if I'm the only one who excludes them, uh, then you'll know exactly who I am. Uh, so I actually have to try and, you know, promote excluding them. And, and you know, there, there's some sort of like 
negotiation happens around the network effects of association sets. Uh, that, that's, I think, going to be interesting and nuanced, but uh, eventually builds up into the, like, sort of like, you know, minimum set of people that you want to, uh, sort of everybody wants to exclude in order to uh, be considered legitimate. And I think that was my, one of the things that came to mind when I was reading the paper um, was this additional coordination complexity and the associated like information disclosure of that coordination when setting up the different uh, possible association sets, right? So like every time that you build an association set, this is a pool that I belong to, or this is a pool that I'm, I definitely don't belong to. You're revealing some type of information outside of the system, yeah. right? And the more that you do that, the more forensics can be done on identifying who, who like what funds belong to whom, uh, just through the like people trying to set up the money that they do and don't belong to. And that's like, and in, in some cases may defeat the whole purpose of the underlying pool itself. And I'm, I'm curious as to how that develops and, and your thoughts on like, whether or not that will actually happen. Are we going to just defeat the whole purpose because we have, we build this massive coordination layer on what I do and don't belong to at a, such a high grain level that it's, you can just do their entity analysis there. Um, I think, I think we've, you know, it's a coordination problem for sure, but it's not like the hardest one ever. Uh, like I think people will more or less figure this one out. They'll mm -hmm. have some sort mm -hmm. of standards about what, uh, you know, we consider legitimate and illegitimate uh, in order to still be able to use the, the system. Um, will it will it weaken privacy? Yes, uh, is the short answer to that. Uh, it, like by definition, anything that you know you additionally reveal weakens the privacy guarantees to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so this is us exploring the trade-off space, you know, between weakening our privacy somewhat, and then, but also being able to you know, associate from the illegitimate funds. And, and so it's, it's not, uh, it changes the like you know, anonymity set. Usually you're just like the largest possible anonymity, set, you know, it's quantity approach. And so this is really focusing on the quality uh, of your anonymity set. And it's like, you know, I do want some, uh, an anonymity set. I do want it to be as large as possible, but I don't want just anybody to be included in my anonymity set. Hmm. I um what about uh what about goblins? All right, I know that question sounds random as fuck. But like what about like what if you know what if I'm just like a I'm a little treasure goblin and I get myself yeah. in a in a membership pool and yeah. I'm not doing big thefts. I'm not going for 500 right. million from a shitty video game. I'm going for like 5 bucks from 5,000 people. Right? And I just do like little itty bitty goblin treasure steals and I never get scouted out no one ever finds me out i'm just flying under the radar picking up one quarter at a time i mean it's kind of funny when i'm using this analogy but i mean i, I love it we're gonna write it exactly this way in our next paper <laughs> <laughs> the please put my name on the paper i will <laughs> acknowledgements to d yeah <laughs> like is there any protection from that sort of thing or that's just the natural part of the human existence and nobody stops goblins um I think I think it's like this is the reasonable point to consider, right? Um, there are ways that you could make this, you know, uh, like easier to detect and, and, and deal with. 
right? Uh, but it might be like slowing people's deposit withdrawal time down, you know, more weeks, uh, or um, you know, uh, uh, but like basically, uh, there's 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 this trade-off between like, you know, how much harm is done by letting you know one person get through, uh, and it's like maybe not that much versus the harm that's done by making everybody not have privacy or you know not be able to use the system like that. And that's like actually more harm because you know it's a safety thing. Like you, there's a reason we like privacy. It's uh, so that people can't spy on us and, and like learn things if we want them to, uh, and then use that against us in some way. So um, it, it, it's it's sort of inevitable that some cracks you know will get through a system like this, whether they're you know small denomination or larger. Um, but and there's like one way you can sort of prove again, uh, which isn't great, but you can basically generate a proof against a new association set that doesn't include somebody that you previously proved, you know, was in the association set. And so like, uh, to be sort of clear about this, it's like there's 10 people in the association set at time zero, uh, you know, a month later, uh, we realized that one of those people was actually one of those deposits is actually a hacker. Uh, we remove them from the association set, and we have to go to the other, like you know, the people who withdrew and the, the nine, and be like, can, can you reprove that you're not, you know, that guy uh, by showing that you're in the association set without him, you know, without their deposit? Uh, it's not a great thing because also you might have spent the money, right? Uh, <laughs> and so you could maybe still prove it, but uh, sort of in the system at that point. So um, the that's the kind of thing where, yeah, it, it's not necessarily worth it uh, to always, um, like, yeah, to, to try and block every possible case uh, of a hack getting through. You know, you're like, you want it to be resilient towards most uh, of the common hacks and, like, Mm -hmm. Even excluding like large DeFi hacks is like a good place to start, in my opinion. Right? Yeah, I think that's more obvious stuff. You know, that's a really great point. And like, I just read an article this morning. It's like so far, two hundred fifty million dollars have been stolen in twenty twenty three from DeFi yeah. hacks, and it's like, well, may, probably less than two hundred fifty million is a good start, right? If we, right. If we if we can get that to a hundred million. That's a great lop off the top there. So yeah. that's a good point. Adding multiple disincentives for uh, illicit funds to exit the system or have them more trackable is generally a good thing. But to do it in a way that's not um, completely like censors, like pro-censorship, like in a way that gives people like just better optionality and trends towards only exiting very, very well-known like globally illicit things. Cause like the more subjective that is, the more kind of hairy the situation gets as you were going through that, that, that explanation. One of the questions I had got like brought front and center, like the required infrastructure on top of this is going to be a burden. How do you see that being played out? And to who is that burden going to be handled by? Um, wallets clearly one of them, they have to keep track of a good, good set of proofs and when to use them and when to disclose them and so on and so forth, especially when you get into the more complicated scenarios like shielded pools and inclusion in the various different sets based on what you're trying to prove. Um, and then the underlying like, um, 
association set providers themselves? Like, how do you how do you see this being played out in a way that's actually usable by people? Yeah, um, we'll start with like how our demo works uh, in order to provide a sort of concrete example, and yep. then I'll explain why it doesn't work. Uh, so we have a demo. It's been live throughout six months on Optimism. You can check it out. Uh, t- t- Optimism test that on quarterly. Uh, it's on privacypools.com. And so it's pretty jank, right? Uh, the way it works is like you see all of the deposits and you have to like point and click on them. Uh, okay. I'm excluding this deposit, this deposit, this deposit. We actually had a funny thing happen where, uh, so, so there's a, on Gourley, um, like there's a tornado catch, right? Uh, and the Gourley tornado catch got sanctioned, right? Gorley's oh, wow. worth some has some market That's value, right, yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty comical, but so That's stupid. Get get this. Somebody bridged ETH that they withdrew out of the Gorley tornado cache up into the Optimism Gorley bridge. Uh, so so they moved it into the Optimism Gorley, and then they deposited it into Privacy Pools, uh, the demo. Uh, and so I tweeted, I'm like, hey guys, OFAC violation detected. Uh, everybody must please exclude deposits 63 and 80, right? Uh, and like, obviously none of this is going to work like that. Uh, nobody is going to be like <laughs> pointing and clicking on deposits to exclude. And I'm not going to be, you know, tweeting every time that there's, there's a, uh, illicit deposit found. Um, there, there needs to be automated you know, analytics companies that are doing this work, it is a burden. Um, and the, you brought up a couple of good points. So like, yes, I agree. The wallets are probably going to do a lot of the UX work uh, for storing the proofs and, and you know, knowing uh, which, which association sets you've even proved against historically so that you have some references there. Um, but somebody needs to pay for, you know, the cost and do the association sets. Um, and so I think, Actually, the relayers uh, will play an important role in the system. So the relayers uh, in Tornado Cash, one of the are, are basically um, like they they're the ones who uh, help you withdraw because the scenario is like you're trying to get ETH to a fresh address. How do you pay for the gas to withdraw from that address if there's no ETH in the address? Uh, and then if you send it ETH, well now you've doxed yourself because you don't have any you know, private month. So it's like sort of this chicken and egg thing. And so to solve that, there's a relayer. And so the relayer is authorized to take a small amount of your withdrawal in order to transfer your, you know, uh, to, to transfer the money out of the pool and into your new address for you. Um, relayers uh, are probably going to want to know that the transactions, you know, the withdrawals that they're processing uh, are legitimate. Uh, so they uh, have a direct financial incentive to make sure that's right. Now, whether the relayer ends up being owned by, you know, the same association set provider, or if there's sort of an association set provider, like company that the relayers interface with, I'm not sure how that plays out. Uh, I'm hoping that there's many, you know, association set provider companies, many relayers, and the relayers uh kind of you know they they make it clear which association sets they're willing to process withdrawals for right and so you could imagine that you know you sort of have like two drop downs right one is for association set uh providers and one is for relayers and so on the left if you like 
you're like, I pick this association set provider, then it you know filters out the relayers that are unwilling to work with that association set provider and just leaves the ones that are, and then you can pick from those relayers. Conversely, if you go to the relayers and you're like, I want one of these relayers, and they're like, well, okay, well, we only work with these association set providers, so you have to pick one of those. Um, probably this is handled by defaults on the website. Uh, so um, you know, you'll go there and the website will be, you know, have a favorite relayer and a favorite association set provider, and then maybe you can, you know, use other ones, but uh, maybe not. So maybe there's a different website, and then uh, that provides you know access to a different group. So it's so uh, interesting. Yeah, we're like, so I see it playing out. We're adding variability to fungibility in a way here, right? So it's like it, this is a, this is a new concept for a lot of people because when they think about money, they think about fungible things in cash, right? And like my $20 is the same everywhere. But in reality, it's not the case. And crypto transcended that concept in a real way. And now we're adding some of the more fine-grained tools to show it front and center. I own this asset. I can use it in XYZ places. In NFTs, that's pretty obvious. I, I have an NFT. It gives me access to some community, et cetera, right? Um, and there's value associated with that access if you think about the generic thought about how NFTs work. But with fungible tokens like ERC-20s, that hasn't necessarily been the case, or like even emission tokens like Bitcoin and Ethereum. But there is an associated non-fungibility even with those fungible assets. Like if you think about mined tokens or any type of tokens that are associated with taint, like uh, illicit funds, they're not fungible. They're treated differently. But by introducing a concept like privacy pools, you're making that concept more front and center in that I need to understand what tokens I have, where they came from, and where I can use them, depending upon what I'm trying to do or what jurisdiction I'm operating in. Mm -hmm. I, I think we talked it, about this in the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, like we already live in that world, right? Like that's the thing that I think people sort of need to come around to is like there are already addresses that are sanctioned. There are already, you know, the fungibility is somewhat broken. Like if you want, you know, privacy enhancing stuff, you sort of have to account for the fact that that's just the reality that you're already. Uh, living so I appreciate that you always work in reality that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a fan behind the scenes I don't I don't tweet at you often I know you're busy <laughs> but I am a fan um, yeah and uh, messing with tank can get messy Corey depending on the time of day so you've got to be careful I was waiting for it I was waiting but, for it yeah I know waiting for what? <laughs> waiting that's for what? look yeah. so anyways look uh, let's get serious here the ASPs, association set providers. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna be serious. They, they're obviously gonna be if crypto is prolific, and it accomplishes its task of everyone's using crypto all the time. Uh, they're gonna be more valuable than ISPs, clearly, because value is running through them and not just data, data and value. Did you do this like by design to create another layer of core users, right? Because we've got miners, validators, traders. Those are core users of crypto. They're not going anywhere. They're doing most of the transactions. They're looking at the transactions. They're learning the stuff, growing the stuff. Is this kind of by design to have like another layer of like now we have these ASPs and they're going to be doing the same? Um, all of those roles that you mentioned like serve a function and that's why they exist right and so this is uh the, the what was it form follows function or something like that uh where like you know this group uh this role like it just has to work this way that there needs to you know individual people don't have the ability to like we were all gods you know and we all had uh, our own data analytics companies 
then maybe we wouldn't, you know, need uh, somebody to do all of this work for us to uh, build these association sets for us because we can track everything ourselves. But we don't. Uh, we are not gods. We don't have our own uh, analytics capabilities, and so we have to use the you know service somebody else. So that is just a role that has to be you know played within the system. Mm-hmm. So but then I, I guess comes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it, you know it's it's also good for uh, like different jurisdictions and and even like different setups to uh, be able to see the positive use case for them for something like privacy pools. And I'll explain. And like one of, one of the mo- more uh, restrictive, for example, stable coins. Uh, Designed is to have a full whitelist of addresses uh, that are, you know, that, that can be transferred between, right? We would say this is like a permission system or something. We don't know. Uh, seems seems kind of um, like very restrictive. But the the point is, even within that scenario, you might want to use privacy pools, and then you just have that whole whitelist be the association set, you know. Uh, and so like, that's like a totally different type of association set that doesn't even actually require like an incense analytics thing because it's just like whoever is KYC'd by said stablecoin or something, right? Um, and like banks, for example, uh, they have a couple use cases in mind when they think about public blockchains, right? One, they want to play on public blockchains. You know, they want to LP on Curve or whatever it is they want to do. Uh, but they don't want all the other banks knowing <laughs> exactly what they're doing. Uh, and so they see for themselves uh, a use case for being able to operate on public chains, but they, they don't want to mix, you know, uh, to, um, yeah, they want to be able to provably dissociate funds from whoever they want. Uh, and, and, and further for their customers, you know, if, if I'm a bank with like an omnibus wallet, Right. And, you know, I withdraw to a customer account, then you can always tell that this guy has a relationship with this bank. Right. But uh, imagine if there was a consortium of banks and they worked together on the association set and the association set was like all KYC deposits across all of our banks. Right. And now when, you know, um, they would just like put the money in the privacy pool and then they would withdraw it from there to the customer account. There's, you know, a little bit extra fees and whatever um but then you know less about where that customer got their money you don't know that they have a relationship with a specific bank all you see is that they're you know one of the customers of one of the banks that has been KYC'd. and then if i'm a merchant and i want to accept crypto maybe i don't want to accept crypto from just anywhere on the planet but uh and maybe i don't need to re-kyc somebody but i am willing to accept money from one of the you know, people who withdrew it from this whole set of KYC people at the banks. Now, uh, I'm the last person to, you know, I'm like not the KYC guy and, and all this. Uh, but I think it's important still for these positive use cases to develop because um, narratives are powerful, right? And so right now we're, we're living in the privacy is bad and <laughs> criminals want it uh, world of privacy narrative. And I think. Uh, we need to shatter that. And the way we shatter that is we show positive use cases. If they're a little more compliant than we would like, so be it. Uh, <laughs> we will still try to you know, achieve the goal of having these sort of minimum you know, viable uh, exclusion uh, that 
allows us to transact without, um, yeah, revealing all of our data all the time. So I got to follow up with that tired ass question that we hear all the time in crypto, but who is responsible for judging the association sets of the association set providers? Or does it even matter? The communities that use them. It's it's an obvious one, I think. Like, since it allows for multiples, basically, like, you are part of a community or an association set based on um, what that association is. And since you can kind of arbitrarily build them, uh, depending on how you want to use your funds or what you'd like to disclose, you get to pick and choose. So the ones that get used the most get kind of more focus attached to them because they need those stronger guarantees if there's more money flowing through them or like there's more dependence upon um, what you're trying to prove or disprove for that matter. Like, you know, have you, no, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like, have you, heard, have you heard of RLN, like the rate limiting nullifiers, which is a, like a privacy anti-spam mechanism, but ends up becoming really, really useful for um, strong membership set guarantees? Uh, I have not. Okay, so it's it's a well, it's output by us. So there's just like a disclosure there within Logos and Waku. <laughs> uh, but it's I think it's, it came because we were trying to figure out a way to do privacy preserving anti spam for for Waku. Um, but then it became useful. We do this in conjunction with the PSC group of Ethereum Foundation, and like this is really useful for just strong membership sets, which are then, as you know, can be leveraged in a bunch of different ways because that's all you're doing with with these association pools is providing a way for someone to acknowledge or cl- prove that they're a part of a set without disclosing too much information about um, the rest of the information that's required to be in that set. Mm-hmm. And um, I was curious if you had heard about it, because I think they go hand in hand really, really, really well with maybe the creation of these of these sets mm-hmm. and then ongoing ways to um, manage the membership based on uh, who's behaving appropriately within the set so like it's a it's a it's a nice way of removing people from the set without revealing who they are and give some people an incentive for actively looking at it because that's going to be one of the problems right is updating membership to do sets based on um what happens in real time yep um that's basically <laughs> how it should work <laughs> i i i love okay so when i got uh when I got introduced to kind of my first taste of working in the industry, I, I went with Corey to a security conference and I got like the, the, the oh, yeah. bootstrapped kind of like everybody was like, ah, I used to be a black hat and now I'm a white hat or like, you know, security is all security theater. And, you know, it was very much an immersion into, you know, what privacy really is practically and then what privacy is in people's minds when it's idealized or uh, yeah, idealized. And so I guess in my mind, I don't think perfect privacy exists. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, there's always, you know, leakage of, you know, personal, uh, personally identifiable information, some way, shape, how, you know, if somebody really wants to dox you and they have, you know, nation state level, you know, resources, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get found. Um, practically speaking, if I was somebody who interacted with tornado cash and I had a lot of funds locked in, I would definitely be looking like, you know, for a solution like privacy pools. And, you know, if I'm also on the side of, you know, traditional banking infrastructure again, and I wanted to 
um, service, you know, maintain relevance and try, try and participate. And like, it, it makes a lot of sense. I just, I, I don't know if we're doing privacy theater. Is that, is that, is it, is it kind of that? Are we LARPing a little bit, but like not? Um, I mean, even if it ends up being somewhat of a LARP, it's still better yeah. than the status quo, right? Like yeah. the status quo is I literally can't use Tornado Cash because it's sanctioned, right? So anything uh, yeah. is better than that, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'm happy to figure out how much of a LARP it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have one question um, from some of the people I work with. Uh, what are your thoughts regarding open source developers working in the space and OFAC uh, like with regards to potential risks? Uh, you mentioned kind of fixing mistakes. Do you believe Tornado Cash was a mistake? Um, I think that uh, I don't think Tornado Cash was a mistake. I think it was a, an important, you know, stepping stone to to get here. But the the mistakes were like I don't know, not building or advertising the compliance tool fast enough, and you know, working with the regulators to determine you know how they would want it to, to use. Like um, the outcome is a mistake, right? Where Tornado gets sanctioned, and Alexi and Roman Storm are both facing prison. And Roman Semenov is on the sanctions list himself. Uh, so I'll do a quick recap on that. It was like last year when uh, Tornado got sanctioned, um, Alexei Pertsev was thrown in a Netherlands jail. Uh, he was held without bail for nine months. And it was only released three months ago. And he's awaiting trial, which is in a, like March, so six months-ish. Um, and He's been charged with money laundering and stuff like that. Uh, about three weeks ago, Roman Storm uh, got arrested in the United States. Uh, and he was also charged with like, money laundering and, and such. And, um, you know, that was a pretty big shock uh, to us. I mean, his lawyer said that he's been complying with the investigation. Uh, for some time, and so it's pretty odd for him to get arrested. He was uh, released on, on bail pretty quickly, but still not great. And in the case of Semenov, right, uh, he's sanctioned by the U.S. government. Like, it's kind of preposterous, to be completely honest, yeah. because this is an open-source developer, and the other people on the sanctions list are like, you know, Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of the Islamic Republic of Iran who funds all yep. of the terrorism in the Middle East, right? Yep. They're not the same. It's, it's, they're, they're not the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> the yeah. same thing. Yeah. So they, yeah. you know, that throws like $150,000 of Roman Semenov's like USDC, which sucks. Um, and yeah, uh, now we're actually, you know, the, uh, trying to help fundraise for them. There's a website right now called www.pepersec.com. Uh, I think Sure, I got the link. Can you link it? And then, yeah, we'll throw the description. Yeah, yeah, that's the right link. Um, mm. This is the link right now. So I put it in the chat. Um, but the, I, th I think it's important to try and help that whole team because uh, the charges against them are also kind of heinous. Uh, some of some of you know, I'm not a lawyer. I can't comment exactly, but 
uh, one of the things that was they were accused of was like continuing to operate the thing uh, and like you know let bad guys in even after they knew that maybe some bad guys were in. And it's like actually the the, the smart contracts were immutable uh, even if they shut yeah. everything down their you know website all like even the website is hosted on IPFS and stuff. So, um, you know, and you could use command line tools uh, to interface with the stuff. You could use Etherscan. I mean, you could generate the proofs on your own machine, just running the, the, the you know, the, the command line tools. So it's like, there's actually not mm, anything that I know of that they could have done uh, that would have prevented, uh, you know, alleged terrorist activity or, or, or illicit activity through the system. Uh, and so I think that's an important thing to try to clarify and you know win in in court and so we're going to try to support them to uh you know mitigate as much of the charges as possible and uh see if they can i mean ideally win but uh yeah so uh, i think if you're an open source developer today uh you would simply do well to learn from the examples that you know we're trying to work on right now like uh it's not you know it's, <laughs> we're not in kansas anyway it's like it's not uh you should assume that if you build something like this mm, you know like malicious actors will show up and use it uh we're not speculating uh the enemy is like at the gates right there's they're here they're with us they're among us they use the stuff we make so uh we should be prepared to own that and try to build stuff that acknowledges that. And if it's like a privacy preserving thing, at the very least, give your own users the tools to dissociate from them so that they're not forced to associate with them if they want to have some you know, degree of privacy. Mm. Very uh, well join, yeah, and, and join, you know, DM me if you're building privacy tools and we want to help you build you know, this privacy pools mechanics and stuff uh, into your system. And work with yeah, work with everybody to upgrade it all, and there's you know standards that we can achieve on you know association set providers and uh, data formats and things like that. Very uh, very well put words. I imagine you're really good at Among Us. Have you ever played Among Us? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, okay, you so, love it. Uh, well, PUBG though. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, we have a couple of trademark questions we call them. We like to ask before we wrap up an interview. I'll do the first one. Uh, in 10 words or less, can you describe privacy pools? Hmm. I'm not the bad guys. Here's proof. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> I guess it should talk about the privacy preserving. Like, yes, privacy. I'm not the bad guys. Here's proof. <laughs> All right. Yes, privacy. You got eight words that time. Seven the Nailed first it. time. Nailed but it. Still under 10. That's a pass. Membership approved. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, my last question is, uh, is what you do actually difficult? And you can interpret it, the difficult, the context of difficult in any how you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's I know this is super difficult. Yeah, I know, right? Right? It's the most open question ever. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's. I don't. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's not that difficult as it is, like stressful or something. Uh, 
it's certainly high stakes. Uh, but like, you know, it's just like any other project it just happens to be really important in this particular case. So valid. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Definitely appreciate the work. And, um, I, I think providing optionality to users is never a bad idea. And so I think we could all do better to try and do more of that. So thank you for providing more options to users potentially through and, and, and promoting, um, reasonable privacy to people so that we don't get all shut down because privacy is bad for <laughs> quote unquote. Uh, that's what we're trying they to can't do. Tell us all, can they? No. <laughs> Did you say, uh, you say you can't throw us all in jail? They, said they can't, they can't jail us all. Can they? But yeah, yeah I mean, they, they can there's a lot of jails. In <laughs> that's a four hour more, business in America. There's a lot more jails than there are crypto people. They're gonna have a lot of room when they legalize marijuana someday too. Yeah. Somebody has to yep. be the next up in the <laughs> prison chopping block or whatever. Oh, uh, that's even gloom. Maybe no. that's when I'll do my PhD. I'll do it at, do it in prison. Got <laughs> like, plenty of time there. Got <laughs> time. And we're back. We look exactly the same. That's right. We did all this at the same time. Uh, no, yeah, like that was fluid. He called into the show. We recorded it. And Remember now we used to try and make it sound like that was the case for a long time, for at least for two a years. long time. Yeah, yeah. It was that. But, was that okay? Early yeah, Bitcoin was, podcast. Yeah. Okay. We had a lot of shenanigans back then, but anyways. I, for one, am a fan of that interview. I hope I get quoted in any new papers as with my goblin mm. goblin treasure theory, uh, treasure goblin theory. <laughs> well, when you're, I think it's like I think it's a really good uh, concept that people need to understand is that like these aren't like it's the same situation. You're not doing it's not all or nothing. Mm. There's this entire fast middle ground of complexity and subtlety when it comes to like information disclosure membership sets jurisdictional compliance mm -hmm. privacy like all this stuff is 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 muddy and complex and to say like i'm private or i'm not private isn't a conversation there's always a social context associated with it and a temporal amount of privacy associated with it like you private is this thing private forever to everyone but yourself and some other person like there's so many things that need to be taken into account when discussing privacy. I, that's why I like this interview is that it starts to open up that concept to people so mm -hmm. that yeah. they're more aware that privacy is like privacy isn't the goal, right? It's, it's a means to an end and it's complex depending upon what means you need. But like it's more general than that in terms of information disclosure and what you can do once things are disclosed or what you can't do once things are disclosed. And like, how we play mm. with this new technology and combinations of these new technologies to give us more options on how to do that and maintain it once we do do it. Mm -hmm. so yeah, like, I would say do. that. I would say there's one word missing uh, because, you know, I'm totally a scientist. Uh, missing uh, the title of that paper, and that is dynamic equilibrium. 
I think equilibrium's being static is like mm. kind oh. of a farce. Uh, equilibrium. So the definition of equilibrium is not static, right? So like a word. It's a yeah, it's, it's a bulk property of a dynamic system where that stays the same, right? You reach an equilibrium when you have a dynamic system that where the bulk properties don't change, but it's still assumed that everything underneath it is very very dynamic. It's just happening in such a way in which uh, the overall emergent properties of that system don't change, right? Temperature is an example. It's like you can have like temperature is by definition a bunch of things bumping around and moving. Um, but when the temperature stays the same, you don't assume everything that's causing temperature is static, right? And so I, I, I think if you talk about equilibriums, that should be implied. I don't think people understand that, but that's certainly the case. Especially when you're talking homeostasis hey, and publicly. like, you know, when you have a fever, it's disruption of the equilibrium that your body has. And, and, you know, like blood flow, you know, ion exchange, all of that, whether biological or physical or whatever context. Yeah. There is a dynamic dynamic dynamicism that is implied yeah yeah but i guess what do you say to the, to the context yeah, just... of that conversation like uh it's important to note that the groups you belong to are dynamic too right so equilibrium using that paper is like this interesting um mm -hmm. concept where like the total pool of funds naturally uh, emerges into two groups. Like these are the funds that I associate with within this pool. And these are the funds that are not. And over time, if you have like a strong enough, like need to make that distinction, you end up forcing out bad money. So like you have this natural equilibrium of always forcing out quote unquote bad money by the collective of the people contributing money. Mm -hmm. And that's going to change. I, like that's, that's, that's going to change over time too, because people, uh, change. I very much appreciate the realism at which uh, Amin approaches this space. And I always have. He just like sees something that everybody's looking at, but nobody wants to talk about. And he's like, I'm going to talk about it and do something about it. I mean, it's kind of like his, his, his MO. So um, yeah, I, just, I really enjoy the interview. And, um, at first the all know last night at like 10 o'clock at night, I was like, this is a step backwards. I am not a fan. <laughs> and then I read it again. And after hearing him talk, he's like, Hey, I'm not, I don't even give a shit. If you think it's a step backwards, this is just an option. People don't even have to use it if they don't want to. And he, they even say at the conclusion of their paper, um, this is to open the conversation. Right. So. I, I think that's why I responded to you. It's complicated. And I waited until today to kind of ask the questions I asked to mean, and then also kind of like point out that it can be a slippery slope. You know, the, the speech that has kind of been passed around by Eric Voorhees, where he takes the staunch position of privacy first and foremost, and you're a man if you basically, uh, determine everything yourself and you're a child if you let everything be determined by other people around you you know that your your government or whatever and you're basically leaving on yourself some degree of chains and basically you're 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 a slave to the system and so like i mean that is really really close to the original ethos of the space more so than what you know amin is working on 
you know, mm-hmm. but like the reality is people are going to jail for not only developing privacy solutions, but also using them. And also your funds can get frozen. And so for those people, it does make sense that there needs to exist some sort of middle ground. Um, that said, you know, everybody, you know, has their own MOs. Everybody will keep working in all sorts of directions. Nation states will keep trying to play the cat and mouse game. You know, the privacy advocates for full, as perfect, as close to perfect privacy as possible. will keep playing the, the game, the cryptography game to try and, you know, at least maintain some degree of privacy. So, I mean, the game, the game has gone on from the beginning of time in terms of maintaining information asymmetry um and you know it will continue in my you know in my naive estimations yeah it will people want people want more power they'll figure out ways to get it once they have it they want to they want to keep it they'll figure out ways yep. to keep it that doesn't yep. that doesn't really change so like we just have more tools at our dis- at d- disposal to play that game and, and jockey for position the cliche or the, the the quote knowledge is power and then it's because of that eight information asymmetry that allows you to have that and that's why privacy matters because you can't have eight information asymmetry without well, some degree of privacy you, some, you to some degree that's the thing right um yeah we we want privacy because the definition of privacy is um removing information right yep. so knowledge about a system um, it's private if people who are not supposed to see it can't see it. Um, now, what that means is it's a more generalized system. It's less constrained because there's more information to act upon. If you don't know something, you can't act appropriately. And, you know, on on, 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 on average, right? Correct. And so we need privacy at lower levels. That's the thing. That's the claim that I, that I try to push forward is that privacy is a means for optionality. In a, in a more generalized system. So you want privacy in lower levels so that, so that the system is less constrained at the lower levels, which then allows you to constrain things when you need to, but not before you need to. And it's that same conversation of like the digital knowledge proofs, right? I only need to disclose the information I need to disclose when I, in the process of disclosing the information, I don't want it, like it shouldn't be so ham-fisted or or, or, or what's the word I'm looking for? It, whatever. It shouldn't be so bad that in the process of disclosing things, I, I reveal a bunch of other information that ruins my ability to do other things, right? I only want to prove to you that I'm above the age of 18 so I can do this thing. You don't know how old, old I am or whatever the consequence is. And so if you have more generalized system at the, at the bottom, you're allowing for more fine-grained solutions to be built on top of it such that you're only disclosing information or constraining the system appropriately when you need to do it, as opposed to making that decision further down the thing, right? That's that same, I guess, you know, the medium is the message. Like if you pump everything through the same pipe, it all comes out looking pretty much the same, regardless of how differentiated it is on top. And we're trying to make a better system that doesn't like force you to do that with respect to your identity and your money. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm going to end with this quote. So knowledge will forever govern ignorance and a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power which knowledge gives. That was James Who's, Madison. Oh, founding father. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, not James you just, Madison. The you, did you, you just know that? You have it on your wall? Why do you, why do you know that? 
No, no, no. I, I, there was a quote I wanted to pull up, which was basically around um, when power is fearful of basically um, somebody who has more knowledge than them, then they will seek to suppress it. But then when I, you know, found this other quote alternatively, so I was like, oh, that's, that's also good. That's a good one. Right. I'm going to put on my wall. I'm going to put James Madison and then below that I'm going to put Jesse. Multiple attributions. <laughs> well, I think I think we're gonna try to end on that strong note. I used to, <laughs> I used to, I used to do some some shout outs, but I'm not gonna do that anymore. Uh, we're just we're gonna say, we're gonna we're gonna do what you're supposed to do, which is if you really enjoyed the don't, show, don't don't we don't do but, that. Well, we have to, we have we to don't do that. that. We don't do that. People who listen to this know that that's a thing. Stop it.